think what happens when you have a bass player on sound for the day, he tries to rattle you off of the stage with uh, the subs thumping. So way to go, Brian. I love it. Hey, as, uh, as we get started this morning, I want to kind of pull back the, part, the, the curtain on some of our processes and inner workings when it comes to putting together sermon series. Uh, we, we typically work pretty far in advance. And so this series that we're going through right now in 1 Corinthians, uh, we put that on the calendar all the way back in in the summer. And, uh, and as we get closer and closer, it's kind of like a funnel. You know, we got some really big ideas and kind of abstract, but as we get closer, we start to narrow those things in, you know, the direction that we're going to go over these five weeks of the, of the series. And uh, one of the things um, about a couple of months out from the start of a series that I do is uh, our, our communications team sends me a little questionnaire uh, to fill out to help them understand why we're doing this series, where we're going to go, uh, and, and kind of the purpose of it so that they can put together graphics and cool sermon bumpers like what we see each and every week. And so I answer questions like in a single sentence, what are you trying to teach in this series what inspired this series? What non-negotiables do you have for this series? For our Christmas series, I said one of my non-negotiables was that Quentin Bemis would dress up as Buddy the Elf and lead worship one week. That didn't happen because he didn't think I was serious, but he's going to see how serious I was when his uh, review comes up here in, uh, in just a little bit. <laughs> but one of those questions is uh, what is the mood of this series? What's the mood of this series? And that can be a hard one sometimes, uh, often because it's just really hard to capture in a word or two the, the mood of an entire letter and, and several weeks that we're going to be you know, diving into something. But for this particular series, it was hard because I, I knew what the mood of this series was, was going to be. You see, 1 Corinthians isn't this touchy-feely, feel-good type of letter that feels like a, a nice warm hug from, from the Apostle Paul or Peter or others. No, Paul is addressing some very serious concerns and issues going on within the church. And so there is a confrontational tone to 1 Corinthians. He is correcting some of their misguided beliefs and behaviors and practices, ideas from their culture that they have adopted into their faith. And so to preach this letter accurately and faithfully means that we may experience some of that same confrontation when, when Paul's words rub up against our own culture rub up against our own beliefs or practices or ideas from the world around us that we have adopted into the church and to the faith as well. And, and I don't think that this will be felt any more poignantly than in the text that we are looking at today. A text that was just as convicting to the original audience as it is to us in the 21st century. It pushes against our cultural narrative just as much as it did theirs. Today, we are studying one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture about our bodies. And our text today helps us kind of think about our bodies 
from a theological standpoint, to, to view our bodies the way that God views them, especially when it comes to our sexuality. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And while you turn, um, I am going to pray. God, thank you for your word and for the truth that it speaks to us in love and in grace and how sometimes it does make us kind of look in a mirror and see ourselves more clearly. And Father, this text and this topic that we're looking at today is fraught with all sorts of disagreements and controversies and, and, and feelings, sometimes even, even pain. But Lord, I pray that as we study this text, we will hear the heart of you, our Father who loves us, who cares for us, who is providing for us and protecting us. Lord, remove any words from my mouth that, that are not um, productive, that are not true to the text, that maybe are just adding some kind of religious burden that you don't want to. God, remove that. If I say anything to that end, God, make us forget it immediately so that we can only remember what you say and what you desire from us, but God, also what you desire for us when it comes to this. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get to what Paul says, I want to remind us about why Paul says this. This letter was written to a fairly young church, maybe five, six, seven years old. And most of the people that he's writing to are brand new followers of Jesus. And, and many of the issues that Paul addresses in this letter comes from these new followers of Jesus and taking um, their, their beliefs from the culture, taking their practices, their ideologies, and, and kind of morphing it into their faith. So you get a little bit of a hybrid mashup between a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of their culture coming to, together. And it was causing all sorts of, of issues within the church. And, and, and Paul is writing this letter because now they are a part of the church. And God has set them and the church apart to be countercultural. God has set us as followers of Jesus. He has set his church apart to be a countercultural community. But instead of living out who God has made them to be, the church in Corinth was quite culturally comfortable. They kind of just blended in with the culture around them. And one of the ways that this played out was in their sexual practices. They mimicked just everyone else around them in the world. There's no differences between Corinth and the church. And you see, in Corinth, the, 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 the norm was, was sexual freedom and promiscuity. Prostitution was a regular practice in their culture, is even a form of, of their, their pagan religious worship services. And, and so in Corinth... It wasn't out of the norm for someone to be, you know, going home from work and stop at a brothel on their way home. For there to be dinner parties where, you know, just sex breaks out in the middle of it. To them, it was just sex. It wasn't a big deal. They viewed sex as just meeting some kind of physical need or satisfying their bodily appetite. 
And apparently, some of the Christians in Corinth were starting to practice this sexual ethic, even in their own faith. They were shrugging off sexual immorality as no big deal. It's just sex. It's just physical. And man, doesn't that sound familiar to how our culture views sex as well? Our culture tends to view sex primarily as physical, meaning that it's just about the body and and satisfying those cravings and desires. In Corinth and today, sex is viewed as just a matter of the body. And you might think then that the Bible would, would, would teach and go in the opposite direction and talk about the emotional and the spiritual aspects of, of this. But that's not what Paul does here. In fact, if anything, Paul goes out of his way to show just how meaningful and valuable and important our bodies are. So in these verses, we will see Paul take something that, that we may view as very ordinary or commonplace and see him teach us just how sacred it actually is. How, how God gives our bodies more dignity and significance and value than we could ever imagine. In our text today, Paul lays out three reasons for why our bodies matter. And the first one is they matter because they matter to God. Our body matters. Your body matters because it matters to God. Paul makes this argument by confronting some of the ideologies of their day. These these beliefs and their sayings that that actually kind of minimize the importance and the value and the dignity of the the body. And they were adopting these phrases within the church to, to justify their sexual practices. And so Paul has a little bit of a dialogue with these slogans. And so this is what he says in verse 12. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, notice Paul does not outright dismiss these sayings. He doesn't necessarily say that they're wrong. He he says that they're maybe missing some nuance that, that, that are important to us. He's saying, sure, you have the right and the freedom to do whatever you want, but that doesn't mean that everything you have the right to do is actually going to be beneficial for you. You have the right and the freedom to do what you want, but, but man, we should not be mastered by anything. That is not freedom. It's just another form of slavery. Even if what you are mastered by are your desires. I think Paul would argue that our desires are a good thing. Even our sexual desires can be a good thing, but they should not be a God thing in our life. They should not replace him and and his word and his will in our life. He takes on another cultural slogan in verse 13. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. Now notice that this entire thing is is in quotes. And so this is not Paul 
teaching this. He's saying this is what the Corinthians say to justify their actions. When they say that food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, they're saying the reason I have a stomach is so that I can eat. And the reason why there's food is so that I can satisfy my stomach. And so if I'm hungry, then I should eat. And this was a euphemism for their sexuality. If I have an appetite or a desire for something or someone, then I should fulfill it. They would say that sex is for the body and the body is for sex. And, and, and in their belief, since God was going to destroy the, the body, then it doesn't matter what we do with it. We should use it in this life to get as much satisfaction and pleasure out of it as we could. The Corinthians lived in this world where they created a dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual, and they kept the two separate from each other. And so, so they would look at that and they would say, it's just physical. Like my relationship with God is spiritual, but this is just physical. The two don't, don't come together. They don't interact with one another. To which Paul would say, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body, he attaches the spiritual to our body. In other words, your body is not given to you to just do whatever you want with it. Your body was given to you by and for the Lord. Your body matters because it matters to God. He treasures your body. He has set it apart to be holy, to be used for his glory. And as people who are called to be his own, we ought to treat our bodies with the same value and worth and dignity that God gives to it. And because the resurrection changes everything, Paul points to the resurrection to show us the value of our bodies. Look at verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. In other words, your body is not given to you just to do whatever you want because it is going to be raised one day. The resurrection changes everything, including how we view our bodies. God raised Jesus from the dead in bodily form. It was not a spiritual resurrection. It was an actual physical bodily resurrection. And one day we will experience the same thing. When we get to heaven, we will not live for all eternity as these disembodied you know, spirits floating around on a cloud somewhere for all of eternity. And praise God, because that sounds awful. Like, I don't want any part of, of that. Ray Ortland said, God's eternal plan for you is not less physical experience, but better physical experience. Which means one day our bodies will no longer be subject to weakness or pain or aging. Our bodies will no longer be subject to sore knees or migraines or cancer. Our bodies will no longer be subject to lower back pain that you experienced three years ago because you jumped on a trampoline wrong. (laughs) True story. (laughs) Your soul will exist forever in a glorious resurrected body. And so God's not trying to get rid of your body like the Corinthians kind of had adopted into their theology based on the beliefs and the practices of their culture. One day, God will completely and fully redeem your body just like he will completely and fully redeem your soul. 
And since God sees our bodies as valuable enough to redeem them by the blood of Jesus, then we ought to treat them with that same value too. So your body matters because it matters to God. Everyone still with me this morning? Good enough. All right, second, (laughs) your body also matters because it's a member of Christ. Not that we are members of Christ's body, the church, we are, but that our bodies are actual members of Christ. Look at verse 15. Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? That word members, it it, it literally means limbs. And so, so our bodies are limbs of Christ in the same way that my arms and my legs are limbs of my own body. And so we are not just connected to Jesus spiritually. We are physical extensions and expressions of Christ in this world. Jesus hugs people with your arms. Jesus serves people with your hands. Jesus speaks words of encouragement to people with your mouth. Your body cannot have a higher calling than that. It is a physical extension and expression of Christ in this world. And so Paul says, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. In other words, shall I take the eyes of Christ and unite them with pornography? Shall I take the lips of Christ and use them to kiss a woman who is not my wife? Paul says that that would be unthinkable because my body is a member of Christ. Where I go, Jesus goes. Who I touch, Jesus touches. What I see, Jesus sees. The bond is so close and so intimate that it's like we are married. And that's where Paul goes next in verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Paul quotes from the creation account in Genesis 2, 24. And the two will become one flesh. One man, one woman, one Marriage bonded together in this covenant promise. That is God's design for sex and marriage. In marriage, two people say, I give all of me to all of you. I bind myself to you. I cleave to you. That is what that phrase one flesh means. It's saying, I will not reject you. I will not toss you aside. I will not use you for my own pleasure. And the sexual union between a husband and a wife is a physical expression of that bond and commitment of marriage that they've made to one another. And Paul says that the problem with sexual sin is that it mimics the one flesh union without the one flesh commitment. See, in sexual sin, you are not giving yourself body and soul to another person for a lifetime, but instead for a moment. You're using that person to to please your own body, satisfy your own desires in that moment. And in doing so, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, 
you are joining Jesus together in whatever you are engaged in in that moment. Whether it's pornography, sex outside of marriage, adultery, you're joining Jesus to that. Paul says, whoever is united in the Lord is one with him. And his conclusion is this in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul says, flee from this. Run from it. Don't flirt with it. Don't entertain it even for a second, thinking that it's some kind of spiritual strength to to kind of battle it and fight it. He says, run in the opposite direction of anything that falls outside of God's design for sex. And for those who really want to live this out, who really want to honor God with our body, I think a good way for us to think about it is this. If if my body is a member of Christ, then I need to flee from anything that I don't want to join Jesus to. In other words, do I want the eyes of Christ to watch what I am watching right now or see what I am seeing as I scroll through my phone? If not, then flee. Get off that website. Close that app. Maybe even delete it. Do I want Jesus and his reputation to be put in a compromising position? If not, then flee. Don't cozy up to the possibility of sexual immorality. Don't hang around and see where it might happen to go. Run the other way. Sexual sin only ends up leaving deep wounds in our lives and the lives of others. Yes, it involves the body, but it touches the soul like nothing else can. And when we use sex outside of God's design for it, it will always cause pain and brokenness. And so you see, God's command here is not some arbitrary, prudish demand because God is embarrassed by sex, that he wants to keep us from it. God created sex. It was his idea. It's one of the very first commands that God gave Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and multiply. (laughs) There's only one way to do that. He was inviting them to experience and enjoy sex. God gives us this command to flee sexual immorality because he is trying to protect our hearts and our bodies through his wisdom. Your body matters. It matters to God. It matters because it's a member of Christ. And finally, your body matters because it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 19. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. This is absolutely incredible. And I think it gives so much purpose for why we should pursue sexual integrity. You and I who are followers of Jesus, we are filled with the glory of God inside of our bodies. We are his temple. In 1 Kings 8, when King Solomon built the first temple. The priest 
brought the Ark of the Covenant into the most holy place. This is the scene that it paints in, in verse 10 and 11. It says, when the priest withdrew from the holy place, the cloud, the Shekinah glory, the, the presence of God filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. In that moment, God took up residence in his temple. And we know that God cannot be contained in a single place, but this was the place that he had set apart to be where heaven invaded earth, to be the place that revealed his glory. And when Jesus walked on earth, he became that new temple. He was the dwelling place of God. He was how heaven invaded earth. If you wanted to see what God was like, you just look at Jesus. But now we are that place. Those of us who are in Christ, we are the ones in whom God resides. We are the ones who reveal his glory. That means that our bodies are sacred. They are holy. And it cost God greatly. Look at verse 20. Again, he says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And what was that price? The price was Jesus who gave his body so that our bodies could become the temple of God. So that God could move in to our lives. He could dwell and take up residency within us. Jesus paid the price so that now we can belong to him. We can belong to the one who created us and redeemed us and renews and restores us. And Paul's conclusion then is for us to honor God with our bodies. Other translations say to glorify God with our bodies. I don't know about you, but I've not always done a great job of that in my own life. And chances are, um, you haven't either. In fact, in a room like this, I would say most of us at one point or another have fallen into the trap of sexual immorality and we have felt the sting of pain and brokenness that causes. And yet God loves us so much that he paid the highest price for me, for you, for us. He, he paid the price for our bodies to be holy and sacred and set apart, but he paid the price for our forgiveness for those times when we treated the sacred like it was commonplace. He purchased our freedom and forgiveness on the cross. And so now we can be transformed into new creations. And so no matter what your past is, no matter how much baggage you carry with you, and it just brings this weight of guilt and shame, you can find grace and forgiveness and a fresh start through Jesus. And I also know that some of you in this room have experienced the pain and the brokenness of someone else's sexual sin against you in the form of an abuse or an assault. 
And now you walk through life carrying that, that, that anger and that fear and maybe that shame and distrust. Maybe it is, it's still going on right now and, and, and your, your abuser is, is maybe even using faith to justify what they are doing against you. Man, I want you to know that we do not want you to walk alone. One, God would never ask you or make you stay in a situation where you are being abused, where you are being hurt. We want to help you. If you could give us just even an inch of trust, we want to help you get out of that situation so that you don't have to walk through it alone. If you've been through it in the past, we want to come alongside of you and help you find hope and find healing. If that's you and and, and you are looking to take some of those next steps, please reach out to us this week. Let us help. Your body matters. You matter. The Lord is for you and he loves you and he gives us the grace that we need to walk faithfully in this life, even in, even in this. And if you want to learn more about that grace that's available, we'd love, love to help you find it and experience it. God, thank you for the beauty of your word and thank you for the forgiveness that when we talk about difficult things like this, uh, Satan's really good at just putting on a, a reel and letting it play in our minds of all of uh, the ways that we've not gotten it right. All of the pain that maybe we have caused others or ourselves or maybe even that others have caused us. And Lord, I just pray that in the name of Jesus, you will bring healing today. You will bring hope in a way that only you can. God, thank you for purchasing our bodies and our souls, Jesus, on the cross. And so may we use them to glorify you, to honor you in all that we do. And may you use us to reveal your glory in this world. I pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can watch all of our video content, both current and past, on our YouTube channel? Visit youtube.com slash Sherwood Oaks to watch messages, series, and complete worship services.